to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. Uh, if this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's very simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time. It can be literally anything from a movie to a food to a um, experience, literally anything that you can experience the first time, we're talking about it. And um, tonight's guest is a friend of mine who I have a lot in common with. Um, we've bounced around some ideas for this podcast several times. We've been trying to figure out what to talk about. And I know you'll be a recurring guest because we have about 10 ideas in the pocket on um, what we can do. And uh, he's a an MMA fighter and a coach. He's a fellow podcaster and host of The Gore Score and the new podcast, Live, Laugh, Kill, with his fiance. He is my guest tonight, Colby Keefe. How's it going, Colby? It's going good, man. I'm really excited to be on tonight. We've been talking about it for a while. Like you said, a bunch of ideas. So I'm glad like the idea you had tonight. I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, like I said, we have a ton in common and we met through the podcasting world because your show the gore score is also on the prescribed films podcast network um i don't even know how did you and jason connect i assume it was through him that you got gore score on the network yeah i i had actually listened to attack of the killer podcast for a few years now and then i started podcasting and we connected somehow i think on either twitter or instagram and then he made that post how they're looking for another podcast for the network and i was like oh i gotta jump on that awesome well uh you just recently started a new podcast uh live laugh kill and it's you and your fiance talking about true crime is that right yeah we're really excited about that one we've only released two episodes so far we uh we're just taking a break for the holidays but she's a huge true crime junkie she loves horror like me but huge true crime junkie and she she's more passionate about that than I am, and she even mentioned something about starting a podcast. I was like, I'd definitely be down for that. And this this one, it's like it's actually kind of blown up a lot. Like the downloads have almost doubled on my other one already. Well, tr- people absolutely are fascinated with true crime, so it doesn't really surprise me. It's sort of uh, like the biggest podcasts besides like celebrities doing them, I would say are like my favorite murder and uh, last podcast on the left, those ones that talk about um, true crime. And it's just something that is like ingrained in people for some reason, Uh, the TV shows on Netflix and documentaries and there's whole channels dedicated to true crime. And I admit I'm, I love it too. Uh, I, I haven't dove into too much of the true crime podcasting because I have like, this humongous list of shows I listen to every week and I I probably you know need to cut some out but I just listen to so many that I it's a hard it's really hard for me to take on new shows and I don't even want to start going down the true crime rabbit hole so that's like one area I do not explore yeah it's funny because for this one um well for the gore score like we talk about everything we're pretty vulgar and whatnot and then for live laugh kill i'm pretty tame and we do we definitely dig into our research and coda keeps me pretty tame on that one and yeah it's it's really fun but no it's it's definitely a good time well i know like on my show i've had my wife on several times very um easy and sort of just goes natural to uh have a podcast with somebody 
that you live with and you know you live everyday life with it's like it's it's a person you talk to most so it's uh it just sort of goes so smoothly yeah it's like everyday conversations between us like we we talk horror we talk true crime every day so it's definitely besides doing the research it's very easy to do and i'm very thankful that she actually wanted to do a podcast with me so yeah it's fun yeah we're lucky dudes to have uh ladies who are uh, willing to be on mic and and share weird interest with us yeah exactly well i know we've talked about it outside the show we've talked about it before the show we've uh we probably talk about it more than we talk about horror um we're both huge mma fans i am not a fighter you are a fighter um you said that your uh, background is in wrestling. That's where it sort of started, and you eventually. Um, it seems like I know a lot of wrestlers now, or a lot of wrestlers go from like high school. Some go into college, uh, collegiate wrestling. Some even Olympic, and then it's like after that, what what do you do? Pro wrestling, or go to uh, which is physically demanding and it is athletic, but it's not competitive like a uh, mixed martial art. So. Um, you know, it's, it's absolutely something that I never wish to do. I never want to be punched in the face. It takes a whole different kind of person who's willing to let that happen. But, uh, how long have you been a, uh, how long have you been fighting? Like when was your first fight? My first fight, I think it was 2018. And my first fight I went into, it was, I was pretty much just, a ground guy wrestling and jujitsu. I think I was striking for maybe six months before that fight. But I, my coach actually almost didn't let me take the fight because uh, my my first fight was supposed to be against another O and O opponent, and I actually had two opponents back out. Not because like I'm scary or anything. It's like my first fight, so no one had any tape on me or anything. But just injuries or uh, scheduling, but. The, the third opponent they got for me, he was, can't remember his record, but altogether between MMA and kickboxing, he had like 19 fights, and my coaches almost even let me take it. But I talked him into it. I was like, I have all the confidence. I know with my wrestling, my ground game, I don't think he'll get out of the first round with me. So they eventually let me t- take it, and then I ended up finishing the guy in a minute and 16 seconds. I drop, He's a kickboxer, and I actually ended up dropping him and then choking him out right in the first round. I know you're probably going into that, like you said, if they didn't have any kind of, if if you hadn't fought, they have absolutely no idea um, what they're getting into. And, you know, uh, a lot of times if you're facing a wrestler, your guard is down as far as the striking goes. And, you know, you land that one surprise punch uh, sort of makes me think of like Khabib and Connor when uh, Khabib landed that hand right and and not Connor on his ass because Connor was so, preoccupied with defending the takedown that you can surprise with a punch. So, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of a common thing when it's like someone who has that kickboxing, uh, experience goes in with a wrestler. Somehow the wrestler ends up, uh, landing a, a few bit nice shots that they're not expecting. Yeah. It was funny. Cause my coaches were actually kind of laughing at me after the fight because when I dropped them, like I kind of froze, like, I don't know what happened. Like I just ducked my head and, <laughs> and hucked an overhand, right. And the next thing I knew, he was on the ground. And then after the fight, I even asked, I was like, did I drop him or did he fall? And they're like, no, you definitely yeah. dropped him. You're like, brain couldn't process how fast that happened. Like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, Yeah, it was it was pretty surreal. A very surreal moment. 
And so you like talking right before this, you said you just got back from the gym. Are you also like a coach or um, what do you do at the gym? Yeah, I'm actually uh, the head coach for the kids grappling, the kids jiu-jitsu. We do a little bit of striking stuff involved in it too. And then I help coach the women's, the women's only kickboxing. And then I'm pretty much one of the assistant coaches for the MMA classes. Okay. So I'm pretty, pretty well-rounded for all the coaching aspects. Cause, uh, like I said earlier, I didn't get into striking until like very close to my first fight. And now I love it. Like that's my favorite thing to do. Like my favorite thing to do before was just grappling and rolling and jujitsu. And now I'm there every day for sparring if I can. And yeah, it's a lot of people, they feel so lost especially strikers or pretty much anyone brand new, they feel very lost on the, on the ground game aspect of jujitsu and stuff. Like I still feel like that with striking sometimes, but it's just, I'm just really starting to fall in love with it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure your coach is uh, telling you like every time you're, you're in a, a fight camp, like do not forget that you also are a wrestler. Like there's so many wrestlers who sort of uh, abandon that or, or only use it in last uh, resort, you know, panic yeah, wrestling. Look at Justin um, Gaethje. Exactly. Like people don't, him and Romero, like people don't think of them being, you know, top level wrestlers, uh, especially Gaethje. Like that dude will take, you know, 20 shots to the dome uh, to, to land one big one and the dude has so much power that um you know people don't even realize that he's also a great wrestler yeah it's funny too because when i really started getting a lot better at striking i started falling in love with it and then my last fight i didn't get to even get to show it at all i didn't throw one punch on the feet because my last opponent he was six four and i mean i'm five seven so there's no way i was gonna stand with that dude my coach even said like you strike with that dude and come back in the second round, I'm throwing a stool at you. <laughs> I imagine he had a little reach on you. Yeah, yeah, he was a pretty tall dude. But right he like but in that fight he literally just threw a jab and I just ducked under it and got the double leg. Well that's what like we're we're in the Midwest here and um like wrestling is just something that it's in every school. It, there's a program for it. Um, Iowa's known for its wrestling, but you know, Midwest in general, like people think of like farm boys, uh, have that strength, have that uh, mentality, and and the toughness of getting through. Like I've always thought of wrestlers, you know, having that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The um, discipline, I guess, yeah. in high school and and college and stuff like to cut weight and to go in and, and grind and uh practice and be on the mats all the time it's completely different from anything else out there like you don't get that um and, and there's there's people there's exceptions to people like you think of you know stephen thompson or, or machida that had karate backgrounds and have been doing it since they're kids um they can pull it off but like you see a lot of fighters you know it used to be like you'd have one guy who's a boxer and you have one guy and, and a lot of people, it's very rare for people to uh, start late in life and learn those skills. So it's like, even if I ever wanted to fight, I'm far past the point where I could, uh, you know, I, I don't have that wrestling base. I don't have any martial art base that I started off with. And uh, now it's like kids are now that MMA is a popular sport, you know, and they're talking like Khabib's trying to get it into the Olympics and it's like, these kids are learning 
every aspect of the sport from the time they start where it used to be you have one base and then you learn the other skills um now it's just like a complete sport and it's evolved so so much that there it's hard to find someone who's dominant in one position like if you go out there and you're lacking in one skill set um you're going to get exploited in that yeah it's it's scary like these new breed kids where they're just training everything instead of coming in with just one background like you said it like these new this new breed of kids are scary you see that in the gym like uh you said you teach like uh the kids jujitsu and stuff like you see the young up-and-coming kids that are learning it like when they're little it's like man just wait till they're our age you know yeah there's some there's some like 12 year olds that they're just gonna be absolute beasts that i'm coaching it's insane like and like you were saying earlier like the discipline they already have and this one kid like his dream is already to be a navy seal and wow. for for this kid too we we actually have him run like the calisthenics and everything before class the stretches he's already a leader and everything so it's and even the kids with no background that come in and watching them grow like before covid we took the kids to their first jujitsu tournament and i think six of them actually competed and every one of the kids came home with a medal whether That's it be awesome. bronze or gold so it was a really good feeling too as a coach but another thing too, it's funny. Oh, go ahead. Well, when I my my dream, like when I was in junior high, was to wrestle for Iowa because Iowa's one. Iowa and Nebraska are like the two best colleges for wrestling, and my dream was to wrestle for Iowa as a kid. Yeah, but then like I didn't have the best grades. Um, I ended up joining the military instead. But well, I'm sure you got plenty of discipline there. Oh yeah, absolutely. What branch were you in? Like, what what uh, branch of the military? I was in the Navy for five years. Okay. You've yeah, got quite the it, background, man. Yeah, it's funny, too, because obviously I started doing jiu-jitsu, and I wrestled my whole life before the Navy. And then when you're out to sea on the ship, they have what they call birthing, birthing brawls. And the birthing is like the area you sleep and your little recreational where you have TV and video games and stuff. And everybody would have, like, wrestling matches. And then... I jumped in and started doing it and I ended up beating like everybody that they thought that that could beat me or whatever down in our birthing. So, and there's like three or four different birthings on the ship I was. So people would take me up to the other birthings for other people to wrestle and stuff. So it was a good time. So like, even then, like people would tell me like, man, Keith, you need to, you need to get into MMA you need to do all this. So it's funny when I post my MMA stuff, whenever I have fights, all my military friends are like the most supportive and. Oh, it's like from, a brotherhood. Yeah. Yeah. From them watching me be undefeated on the ship to fighting and stuff. It's really cool. It's a really good feeling having everybody I still have my back for that. That's awesome. Well, uh, we won't dig, uh, make this an entire MMA podcast, but like, um, I've mentioned several times on this show when I'm introducing it, um, you came up with like the coolest, most outrageous idea for the show so far. And I will say it on air and make a promise to you and a uh, promise to the listeners who are, who are here, um, who I've told, I've, like I said, I've mentioned it and people have been like, you got to do it. Um, I will eventually take a jujitsu class with you and we'll, we'll jump back on and talk about that a little bit. And, so we'll save a little bit of that talk for for uh, that episode because uh, I have a feeling if we if we kept going we could just go for an hour just on uh, MMA and maybe I've always talked about doing one like a uh, live uh, 
you know, fight show where we watch a fight card and like me, you, Jason, a couple guys just jump on and, and uh, shoot the shit during a fight card like we would if we were all hanging out in the room watching it. Yeah, that would be a blast. I mean, we're not we're not like outrageously far, far apart either. So that's definitely doable. Right. I've always wanted to get a group together at the Capitol Theater here in Burlington because I have access to it and can rent it out anytime I want and just watch a card on, you know, the hundred foot screen that's huge and you know we have plenty of room to space out and and we have concessions and we can bring our own stuff it would just be a blast yeah that that sounds amazing i miss uh i used to have a friend that um i would go to his house every time with like the same group of four dudes and we watch every single pay-per-view and a lot of fight nights and since COVID started we haven't been able to get together we just basically chat on Facebook, like I do with you, and I'm, you know, I'll message you and be like, "Holy shit, did you see that knockout?" And it's just not the same. Yeah, yeah, I, I do enjoy messaging you in the fu- messaging you during the fights, and then we give our picks and everything. Yeah, I used to have like a and uh, a little peek behind the curtain. We do have a prescribed films podcast network, uh, fantasy football league, and I used to have a um, fantasy MMA league and you basically chose who you thought would win um, by what and what round. And that was a whole lot of fun. It would give you points on, you know, how accurate to the minute you were and stuff. And uh, I had a huge group and I would say 90% of those people who were in that league no longer even watch the sport, which is a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. I actually did my first betting uh, MMA thing on the Figueroa fight. Is it last weekend or the weekend before? And everyone said I was crazy because I put money on Charles Oliveira. Because, I, I mean, I'm a huge Tony Ferguson fan, but Oliveira is just a different breed on the ground. And I put money on that. I think I put like $5 and ended up winning $26. That's awesome. I know my friend uh, – actually, I won't name his name because I don't know if he uh, – if he if everybody knows he is uh, a better. But um, he – puts a lot of money on fights and he's pretty good at picking. And I believe he picked Charles Oliveira. Also, he put some money on him. Uh, and that's his, like one of his top three favorite fighters. He, and he's watched him since, you know, we've watched him since he was like at the bottom of the vision, but he is always exciting. One of the most entertaining, exciting fighters. It's great to see him sort of uh, yeah. come on his own and, and, you know, enter his prime, I would say. Yeah. I think we've been watching him since he's like, what, 20 years old or something. When he first came to the UFC, I think the first time I saw him. Yeah, it feels like it's been a long time and he's still young. Yeah, he's still very young. I think the first time I actually like noticed him was when he fought the tough, I think, eight winner, Efrain Escudero, and he submitted him when Efrain was undefeated. And right there, I was like, dang, that kid, that kid's good. He's sort of like, um, Tony Gaethje, where it's like, even when in his losses, they're always exciting. Like he goes out on his shield. He always uh, makes it a, a dog fight for sure. And yeah, uh, I don't, I, I, I was rooting for him against Ferguson, but I didn't expect him to dominate like he did. But yeah, I thought, like you said, I thought it was going to be a dog fight, but he just dominated. I think it was 30, 26 on the judges. Yeah, cards. He took every single round and I, I saw since then Tony's like, you know, I broke his mentality in the first round when he couldn't get that arm bar. It's like, eh, I don't. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I saw that to... too. I was like, oh, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I love Tony. You're a lunatic, but I love him. But man, like maybe, I don't know. 
uh, reevaluate the fight, rewatch it, and uh, learn something from it rather than deny the fact that you got dominated. Yeah, was, I mean, all around, that was a great card, but... I, I yes, think it's, it's these, awesome. These Abu Dhabi Fight Island cards have all been really good, I think. Like, the yeah, fight the with sport no is crowd, absolutely it just cool. seems like a different... It's just a different environment, and I really like it. I didn't dig it at first, but I'm really liking it now. Yeah, it was weird with, like, the no cheering and stuff. Like, with the NFL games, they have, like, the the cheering soundboard and whatnot, but it's, like, super quiet. Yeah. You can literally hear the corner men talking. It's... It's something else. Yeah, I know some fighters are saying they love it, and some fighters are saying they rely on that crowd noise to like pump them up. And yeah. I think Tony was one of them that said that he doesn't like the silence because he relies on the fan base to like yell and scream for him. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's real because Tony's like 0-2 now with the no crowd. Yeah, he looks like a different fighter recently. Okay, well, like I said, if we start talking MMA, we're just going to yeah, make this gonna, an MMA It's going to be the whole episode. So. <laughs> so we'll get into, actually, tonight's topic. Um, it's sort of the reason we jumped on and, and we're doing this sort of on the fly is because I found out through you that you had never seen one of my favorite movies, and it relates to this uh, time of the year, this holiday. My favorite subgenre of horror, actually, is Christmas horror. And so tonight we are talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night. T'was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Silent Night, Deadly Night, released on November 9th, 1984, directed by Charles Sellier Jr., written by Michael Hickey, starring Robert Brian Wilson as Billy Chapman. Um, first time for you. That surprised me. I know you're a big slasher guy, a big horror guy, so what took you so long to get to this one? You know, I, I don't even have an answer for it. I, I, I even did, I'd never even seen the remake either, because I'm usually pretty good on seeing up-and-coming new movies, especially since like the mid like early 2000s but and I, and I mean obviously i'm good at like catching old slashes too but i don't know i just never got around to this one now what it, like do, are you a big fan of christmas horror or is that one of like a genre that you are not a big fan of no i do really like the christmas horror i love uh black christmas the original 
the I think 2000 2006 remake. I never caught mm-hmm. the newest one, but I mean Gremlins. It's one of my favorite movies ever. But I I, I don't know. I, I watched I mean, the I, new. Uh, I watched the new Black Christmas last night for the first time. Um, I didn't hate it, but I just don't. Uh, it's it's a different movie. I guess that's a good thing. Um, but it doesn't stand as with the first uh, in a re I actually like the remake, the second remake too. So uh, it doesn't stand I, up there with those two for me. I actually really enjoy the second remake. Just like I, I love yeah, the me gore too. and I love like the color of the gore. It's just at the time it was different. But no, I yeah, mean, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm huge. I'm huge into Christmas horror. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for you, I would have, I probably still wouldn't have watched this this year. And, Man, I was definitely excited I got to see it. I actually watched one through four. I watched this one twice, and then I watched the first four. But I still have to see five and then the remake. Okay, well then we can chat a little bit about the sequels um, once we sort of wrap up on this one. I won't go too deep into it because that could be a whole uh, really long podcast. And uh, I want to be a little respectful of your time and everyone listening, but um, yeah, this movie is well known in circles because not, it's actually notorious for its controversy when it came out. Um, It was picketed by uh, angry parents who were never even seen the movie, just saw uh, Santa carrying an ax on the poster. They were pissed off about that. Um, But like I said, it was released November 9th, 1984. And that's actually the same day the night the original Nightmare on Elm Street was released and it outgrossed Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's funny because when I was taking notes and then I was doing like digging deep in the IMDb of the of the movie and just the internet itself and the, the huge controversy it makes me laugh because it's crazy that it was only in theaters for a week and then it was in the eighties and like they tried to cancel like cancel culture now. But they try to cancel it because it's a killer Santa Claus, but they didn't say, like, but like you said about how parents didn't even see it. But the, like, rapey scenes and the sexual, like, assaults in the movie, like, they didn't say anything about that for it to be canceled. But that's just one thing that, like, exactly. really stuck out to me. Yeah. Lillian Chauvin, who plays Mother Superior in this movie, uh, later said she thought it was a mistake that they centered the film's um, advertising campaign on Killer Santa Claus because it's not at all, it's it's a guy dressed as Santa Claus killing people, but it's not even depicted as like the Santa Claus killing people like it is in some movies. Um, right. I can understand where they're sort of, where parents might be concerned that their kids are seeing it on TV, but to me it's always been like, if you don't want to see it, turn the channel or don't take your kids to see it. Um, there's a lot worse things even in the eighties that were happening, but it's funny because I have a weird um, sort of connection to this film myself. It's always been near and dear to my heart because it's the only movie as a kid that I remember my mom sort of um, not letting me see my brother would rent horror movies all the time. My older brother from the local video store and he rented this one one day and he started watching the living room. We only had one TV growing up. We were pretty poor, small little house. And it opens with a family going to see their grandpa, I think on Christmas Eve. And he's like a vegetable. He's sort of a recluse. 
in a nursing home doesn't hasn't spoken for years and as soon as the parents sort of disappear off the screen he uh wakes up and tells billy he better be good because naughty kids get killed by santa claus and uh i remember that as a kid and it sort of freaked me out and then um the scene that will always stick with me because of my mom is when Santa, who a guy dressed as Santa who had just robbed a gas station, his car breaks down on the side of the road and he flags down Billy's family and he ends up shooting them and tries to rape the mom and murders like slits her throat and yeah. it's pretty brutal. And uh, my, I, that was like that scene right when he rips the woman's shirt open and uh, slashes the throat. My mom was like, turned off the TV, was like, You can't watch this with your brother. <laughs> And of course, I had never been told no. Like I watched all kinds of stuff growing up, Friday Thirteenth, all these other movies, and um, seen all kinds of nudity and stuff. But Santa Claus raping a woman was like over the line for my mom, so <laughs> she turned it off. Line. And of course, yeah, and of course that was like, okay, now I have to see this. It made me want to watch it more. So yeah. of course, you know, later it was like mom goes to bed, slip in the tape or something. I don't remember how I officially finally saw it, but um, maybe it's that like um rebellion that makes it one of my favorites but i i do think it's a good movie i think uh the controversy overshadows it and uh the sequels especially the second one sort of overshadow it because of how ridiculous it is but the first one is a pretty serious hardcore horror movie yeah and when it shows the santa claus robbing the gas station after he shoots him in the chest and in the head, when he shoots him in the head, like right there, I was like, damn, all right, this is going to have good practical effects. And it, I wasn't let down at all. Yeah, it has some pretty good gore. It has um, a great score and soundtrack. That's one of the things I love. I just picked up the vinyl of the original songs, like uh, Santa Sleeping and uh, Warm Side of the Door. All those songs are written for this movie. Um, but the score itself is really creepy. And uh, I think it was sort of like in the vein of, it doesn't sound like John Carpenter, but it was recorded in the same way that yeah. a, a guy who was doing it just sort of uh, did it on like a weekend on like one Casio keyboard or something while he was watching the movie. And um, I think it is sort of underrated. I, I really enjoy the score too. Which was the song when he gets the job at the toy store when it has like a montage of him working and stuff. I can't remember what song that was. I think that's like the warm side of the door. Uh, that's, that's the one I'm thinking it is, or uh, I think it's called warm side of the door, but uh, they're, they're sort of cheesy sentimental songs, but they're catchy as hell. Yeah. And it, it worked very well for it too. Cause it like, kind of like was a heartwarming part of the movie. Yeah, one thing I thought was pretty funny uh, at the beginning is when they're driving to uh, see their see grandpa, the, his little brother, uh, Billy's little brother, is sitting in his mom's lap, like no car seat, because uh, this yeah. is the 80s, like, you know, no car seat, just right, a newborn baby right in the lap of a front seat of a car, like, yeah, it's the fucking 80s, you don't see not? that anymore. Exactly. Like, I'm surprised she wasn't, like, ashing her cigarette out on his head. Yeah. But, uh, the first thing I had written down in my notes, too, was, uh, I mean, I know this came out before, but I was like, damn, this is like a New Balance version of the Griswolds. Absolutely, that's what, yeah. That's what it, like, reminded me of when they were driving the station wagon. 
Yeah, they have that sort of cool shot of it driving down the highway. It's like a big wide shot of them uh, with like an empty field behind them and the, the big sky. It gives off that winter vibes. And, uh, you know, going into the movie, you sort of know that it's what you're getting into with a title, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and that opening title of the movie that's like dripping blood and stuff. You know, like as soon as you see a Santa Claus in this movie, there's never really going to be a good Santa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the title uh, itself, it, I love the title. Yeah, and, and that was sort of picked last minute. Like, the entire time they were shooting, the time they wrote it, everything, um, it was going to be called Slay Ride, S-L-A-Y, Slay Ride. And I think they had some kind of issues with another movie or something that was uh, held the rights to that name, so they switched it last minute to Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I think it works better. Yeah, I definitely like that. I mean, Slay Ride's still a pretty cool name, but... I definitely love the Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, and uh, a a dude from Harvard, I don't have his name, I don't think, on my notes, but he wrote this screenplay and uh, called Slay Ride about a killer Santa. It was only like a small uh, screenplay, and the writer got a hold of it. There, um, Michael Hickey got a hold of it, and he really liked the idea of a killer Santa. So he literally just took that one idea from it, but gave him uh, creative credits for the movie, and then he just gave it like a 32-page treatment as its own movie. Um, so he said the original screenplay was more like Carpenter's Halloween, where it was just a slasher where a, a guy dressed as Santa rather than like a Michael Myers mask went around and was was killing people but um once they wrote the 32 page treatment they got financing and uh the actor who plays billy who is uh robert brian wilson i listened to a commentary track on the new shout factory blu-ray last night it's not really new it's a couple years but justin beam worked on it and uh the uh commentary provided a lot of great information going back to the screenplay writer i don't know if it's him but one of the screenwriters he went on to be um, one of Quentin Tar- Tarantino's uh, screenwriters. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I learned that today, actually, when I was uh, watching one of the special features things about it. I was like, damn, that's really cool. Yeah. I noticed or I, I saw that the score or it was part of the um, commentary I was listening to. They said that the score uh, was written by the same artist that did the Mark and Mindy theme, which I love little things like that. It's It's fascinating to me. That, yeah, there's you know, a lot. There's have a lot so much of cool, crossover. There's a lot of really cool stuff that popped out when I was watching this movie. Uh, I mean, Linnea Quigley, obviously, and yeah, I don't know a movie where Linnea Quigley's not nude in. Right. You got Demon Knight. The uh, uh, Night of the Living or Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, just about everything, and I know the uh, that scene that she's in where she's like having sex on the pool table with that guy, the actor went on to play uh, Barry in Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers. He was like the sort of uh, their version of Howard Stern. Yeah. Yeah. The Howard Stern radio host. Yeah. Another cool thing was, I think it was the first house, the cops, the two cops bust into to catch the Santa when he's climbing through the window. Uh That's that's actually, uh, I think Don, Don Shanky, which Don Shanks, yeah, that played yeah, Hall- yeah, Don, Michael Don Myers. Shanks. Yep, yeah, he was Hall- he was uh, Michael Myers in Halloween Five. Yeah, that's that's yeah, like Don a Shanks. lot, of, just so much crossover in this. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool learning all that stuff when I was doing the research for this. Yeah, so it's 
we're sort of jumping all around, but the story is pretty simple on this one. Um, after the Santa flags him down, murders uh, his parents, it's uh, Billy and his little brother, who we will meet in part two, um, are left alive. They are sent to an orphanage. And so we have like three different stages of Billy. We see him as a very, very little kid who witnesses the murder of his parents from Santa Claus. Then we get him as more of a uh, like a rebellious kid with a bad mullet who uh, is stuck at this orphanage with mother superior. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I think I like the third act a lot more than anything else. Yeah. I definitely um, enjoy the third act, but I actually wrote down on my notes that uh, I noted Billy's gnarly mullet. Yeah. His, his that, that little shit, man. Like the, he reminds <laughs> me of like kids I was in elementary school with that, had like sort of rough upbringings but you didn't want to fuck with them because yeah. you know it's like if you, if you come to school with that haircut you're going to get picked on but you're also probably willing to throw a few punches <laughs> yeah exactly and uh he witnesses like i think it's in the midsection yeah he he witnesses like some people who sneak into a room and are having sex in the orphanage um and mother superior it seems like she's sort of the uh authority figure and she seems sort of mean in the movie, but it's also, I feel like she, she doesn't just have it out for Billy. She wants him to get better. And, um, you know, it, it's sort of a slow build up to the third act, which is when we finally get like Billy as an adult. He's it's when, uh, Brian or Robert, Brian Wilson finally gets to play Billy. And he's sort of the, no, the guy that's known to play Billy. And, uh, he gets hired at a toy store and this some of the, my favorite parts of this movie are at the toy store just yeah, because it, it really well it builds up yeah it really builds up and sets us up for what we know exactly is going to be happening soon you can see it from a mile away but it's fun to watch because you know there's there's like montages of him carrying in these big toys and he's he's obviously like he, he gets super buff between the time he's a kid and an adult like yeah he, he's he's like you know got some pretty decent uh arms and he looks sort of more like a model than he does uh billy at this point but um i i had heard on that commentary that he that robert brian wilson was not an actor when he was cast for this movie he was actually discovered at a restaurant he was like eating and a producer saw him there and he approached him and it's like you know are you an actor and he's or i think it was his it wasn't a producer in the movie it was his who became his agent it was like are you an actor and he's like well, no, not at all. Like, I think he was like an athlete. Um, and he was like, well, you should, you know, you're super, you're very handsome and you seem like a natural and, you know, you'd be good in front of the camera. So he like went from doing nothing to auditioning for this. And he said his agent basically bullshitted and said he was in like certain stage plays and on TV shows and stuff and made up a fake resume to get him this audition and he went in and there was tons of people auditioning for the role, but he ended up getting it and, uh, you know, it became his biggest role of his lifetime. Yeah. I thought he did fantastic for his first feature movie. Like, I mean, a lot of eighties slash movies are, have cheese acting, but it wasn't like terrible or anything. I thought he did great. Yeah. And I love that actor that plays his boss. I, I wish I had his name in front of me. I probably could look it up here real quick on IMDb, but his boss in the store, like he's probably one of the only other characters uh, that are worth. It's Britt Leach plays Mr. Sims. He's probably the only other 
I guess uh, I sort of root for like the the woman he has a crush on too in the store, but uh, I think the his coworker who's hitting on the girl and and uh, he ends up being like the first kill is the most like despicable character in this movie. I yeah, absolutely hate him. Sucked. He's... I hated him. Yeah, he I... reminded me of like a sh- a shitty Joe Pesci or something. Yeah, I actually got kind of sad when uh when Billy was actually Santa Claus and everything got wrapped up and he like looked over the corner and those two were making out. I was like, no. Yeah, me too. Like she was, she was super sweet to him. And it was like, you know, Billy's on the good track now. He's, he hasn't uh, been the little shit that he was. He's got a job, but you know, just like I said, you can sort of see it coming. It's like they put him in the Santa costume and it's, it's a trigger. And I would think that the orphanage would, give him a heads up like hey just a heads up he saw santa murder his parents we should probably not put him in a suit but for some reason they do and of course it triggers him he um i believe he hangs that guy with a string of lights yeah he just he, uh, he holds him up with one <laughs> hand yeah it's it's pretty badass it's like uh i love when it's like a christmas kill yeah yeah, you you actually and, see a lot of those throughout the move, the, like throughout the series with the get just getting strangled by lights. Yeah, and then we have a, I, 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 there's like a sort of slow scene where he's chasing the girl through the toy warehouse, and one of the cool things about the the toy shop scenes too is seeing all those like retro toys on the shelves. Like I'm like yep. looking to see what they have. I'm like, what's that? Oh, that's really cool. I remember that, you know. And they use like it looks like. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it is a real toy shop. They said it's still there. I'm not sure if it's still actually a toy shop or if it's been, you know, changed to something else. But I think they actually filmed it in a toy in a toy shop. Yeah, I really like you said, I was I was definitely looking around for the toys and stuff, see what they had. And then I to re- reiterate, just rewind just a little bit. Um, Mr. Mr. Sims, a boss. I really, really liked his character especially like he was really nice and proper the whole time. And then right after they finished the Santa stuff, he just screams, let's get shit or time to get shit faced. And then the next, yeah, he locks the door completely drunk talking to Billy and stuff. I was like, damn, this dude parties. Yeah, him and the his uh, female coworker, like they're they're getting trashed right away and having a good time. And if you've ever worked retail during Christmas time, that is like a true reaction. Christmas Eve or whatever, <laughs> when you lock the door and you don't have to worry about it anymore, it's like, holy shit, it's over. And uh, you know, let's get let's fucking party now. And yeah, he's he's very likable. I think he's been in quite a few um, movies and TV shows. He's he's pretty good uh, veteran actor, I think. And yeah, yeah, uh, he, he definitely one of the likable characters. Yeah, one of the few likable characters in this movie. Yeah, and then his death came right after the girl he had a crush on after he killed her. I I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, Did, didn't he stab that girl? Yeah. Yeah, and then and then Mr. Sims' death, it was off screen, but it had like a blood splatter, and the blood splatter was actually a really cool scene. I thought they did very well with that one. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this whole toy store scene is uh, the whole section of this is a lot of fun because it, like, when the lights go out, the the animatronics are super creepy, and uh, we have some really another fun sort of crazy Christmas song. And then of course, you know, Billy puts Billy still has the suit, and now he's got an axe, and uh, he's got a few. Uh, what what's the saying? He's got an axe to grind. So yeah. Um, I think the next scene is when he does go after uh, Linnea Quigley and her boyfriend who are for some reason having sex on a pool table. Um, we have like a Texas chainsaw moment where Billy hangs her from um, some antlers, like a, a deer on the wall, which is another iconic scene from this movie. That, yeah, that is was, probably I think most that was remembered. my favorite kill. Yeah. It's hard to top that one. And really, you know, she really comes to the front door for that one. Yeah, she comes to the front door topless looking for the cat and it's actually <laughs> yeah. B- Billy's jingle bells on his Santa costume and uh you know he does the whole like naughty, you know, he knows. And and this one like I know in a lot of slashers and uh 70s 80s movies we sort of jump to the conclusion that like killers, you know, if you're smoking or doing drugs or having um unprotected sex you're going to die but uh billy doesn't uh mince his words he tells you you're being naughty and kills you for it yeah i love when he like in, before his kills he yells naughty or punish 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 Yeah, and, and of course she's doing it the entire time, uh, completely topless and uh, a very um, Linnea style. You know, yeah, I feel like she's classic spe- most of the eighties without a shirt on. <laughs> and then, it, yeah, and then from there, like we have some fun scenes where the cops are looking for him, and uh, you mentioned it earlier where they almost shoot a dad playing Santa because they see him climbing into a house and they assume it's Billy and they, they bust into the house and pull their guns on a dad who was surprising her daughter. That's I sort of a thought, funny I, moment. I thought the cops were actually going to shoot him though my first time watching. Yeah, because this is a pretty mean-spirited movie. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they had some innocent people get shot, you know, because uh, that's something that sort of gets played on later in like, it, or actually earlier in Christmas Evil and different um, Christmas horror movies is that, you know, they play on the idea that there are several people out there dressed as Santa Claus. So, um, you know, innocent people are, are going to die too. Yeah. Which we, but, which we actually uh, do end up seeing towards the end. Right. And so eventually Billy, you know, he's on his way to the orphanage to go after uh, mother superior. And I'm, I'm jumping sort of through a lot of different things. Cause there's, there's more to it, it but it's, it, at its core, it's pretty simple um, little movie that, and I think that's what I like about it. It's easy to digest, but yeah, he ends simple. up at the orphanage. Uh, actually, there is an innocent uh, Santa that is shot, right? Um, it's like another Santa is going to the orphanage and, and it plays a trick on us because we think it's going, it actually is Billy. And then the cops show up, shoot him. It turns out it's not Billy and they've shot like, uh, I forget who's one of the, like a father or something. Yeah, that he was, was one of the priests and it, the kids his back was at the camera the whole time. So yeah, you do think it's Billy, but it ends up being the priest who's just a Santa, but he's also deaf. So he didn't hear the, uh, the cops tell him to put his hands up and turn around. and whatnot. Yeah. So he didn't only shoot a priest, but he was also Santa and deaf. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's convenient um, for them in the plot to make him deaf so he didn't hear the cops, but uh, it makes it a little more tragic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for a simple movie, I and, mean, they did, they did have, like, a lot of, like, smart, smart scenes they played off of. Right, yeah, I think, like I said, it, uh, I'm sort of sad that it got buried with the um <clears throat> angry parents who picketed it on one part but i also think that they actually made it more famous and popular than it prob than it might have been it did outgross nightmare on elm street its opening weekend by around one hundred and sixty two thousand dollars, which is pretty good but it was yeah. playing in more than twice tw it was playing in twice as many theaters as nightmare on elm street uh and it fell 45 percent by the second weekend because of the picketing and then by the third weekend it was already completely pulled so uh they they released it yeah they released it like a year later and then of course i think it got its big audience on uh vhs and uh there's actually did you which version's on amazon is it the um, rated r or the uncut because there's one the uncut version has a few scenes inserted into it that are like standard definitions that are really, really rough. Yeah, we're especially uh, I, I got to watch the uncut one, and then you can act, you can definitely tell which scenes were uncut because definitely had a different quality to it. Yeah, especially the, the kill scene... when the lady gets shot with the arrow. Yes. And the uh, scene where the kid's sledding down the hill and gets decapitated is the other one that's like a big uh, difference because they have some more footage of him sliding down the hill on a sled without a without his head, which is yeah. And then yep, the you know the head comes the head comes down the hill separate is is hilarious. I love that scene too. I love the like this like weird pig squeal noise the kid made before he went down the hill too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, like, not going to reenact yeah. it, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. Funny. If you've seen this movie, yeah, you know that noise. And I had a feeling too. I was like, he's probably going to come down decapitated or he's going to come down dead. One of the two. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's just a perfect sort of gag. Like uh, I remember as a kid, like I, I is like, you know, dead man's hill. Like if you go sledding down this, a tree branch will decapitate you. Like, you know, there's rumors of like people who had been killed on it. And, and so when you're watching this, you, you sort of have that story stuck in your head and you know billy's gonna jump out and just ax someone's head off and of course he does it perfectly yeah i, lo I love how that scene played out because they built it and up then for of course, him to be a dick too and i just loved like how it ended for oh him. yeah 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 it's good to see like the bully get yeah, his it's always bully. uh fun yeah and uh that was yeah the other one i was sort of forgetting was that that kill and then you know he does get to the eventually get to the orphanage 
Um, and he shot in front of all these kids. And now I think people sort of overlook the fact that, um, you know, it sort of comes full circle because Billy is dressed as Santa Claus and he is himself killed in front of all these children who are now probably going to have a lot of post-traumatic stress uh, watching Santa Claus get shot in front of them and they're all orphans. So it's like, you know, they had a lot, a lot of stuff they could work with on the sequel because there's a lot of fucked up kids now. Yeah, I do really, I really like how after Billy gets shot, which I didn't like how that's how Billy went out. He just got shot in the back like twice or whatever. Wish he could have gone. Yeah, it's a little anticlimactic. But then his brother, he's like naughty. So it's already setting up for a sequel right there. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too, because it's like, you know, uh, going just, just sort of looking forward at the sequel, it's like, you know, they, I, I wonder if this was not picketed and it would have done well at the box office if we would have gotten like a real sequel that wasn't like 75% flashbacks of the first movie. But, um, I love it yeah, for what whole, it is. So the first forty minutes is all flashbacks, <laughs> right? And it don't even make sense because he was a baby; he could not possibly remember uh, some of the stuff that they show in the movie. But they obviously just have to use as much of that footage as they can. Yeah, yeah, I know they worked for a very small budget for that for the sequel, so they had to do whatever they could. Yeah, and uh, it, it's beloved because of that performance um, from the lead, his his eyebrow acting, and of course, Garbage Day is is a, a beloved uh, one-liner from horror history. And I finally know what it's for now. Garbage Day! Yeah, so you've probably seen that meme for years, and you're like, "What the hell yeah, is yeah, that?" Like, what now, the you know? hell is that? <laughs> oh man, so um, I'm glad that you really love this one. Um, I, it's been a staple. Like I, I remember I got the two pack DVD of the first and second one, and then obviously you know upgraded. But for a long time, um, it was really hard to find. Like the DVD was out of print. You had to, you know, try to find a like torrent online to download it um because this was before you know every every uh streaming service had that available so uh, for a long time it was sort of one of those underground things that you would uh, talk to your friends about but it was hard to find so this one i i have friends who absolutely are like stands for the second movie i love the second movie too but i am absolutely bigger fan of the first one i think the first one's actually a good movie second one is not a good movie, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a fun watch. And and going back to what you just said, I mean, thank God for Shout Factory, for especially the movies they released with the special editions and all of the, the special features and commentary they bring to these old classic movies, and they release them for special editions and whatnot. So I, I love Shout Factory. I get my hands on whatever I can, because I mean, I'm a big collector, especially Blu-rays and DVD and Shout Factory is one of my favorites to collect. Me too. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that they did the first one, but the fact that we got the second movie as a special, like a loaded special edition restored with an action figure. Like I have uh, the action figures from the first two movies uh, through Shout Factory and 
it's just a small miracle that we have like a garbage day action figure. That's something I would never ever in my lifetime imagine that I would own. Yeah, it's funny too because uh, I listen to a lot of very like uh, metalcore, deathcore, really heavy music, and one of my favorite bands, their last album was all um, horror movies. So they pretty much turn like horror movies into a song. And one of them is a Silent Night, Deadly Night one. And it, that one was like one of my favorites. And I didn't even know nothing about the movie, but the song ended up being one of my favorites. And there's a part in the song where they scream, it's garbage day. And then it just hits this gnarly ass breakdown. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and now I know what it is and I love it. Yeah. I uh, quote that line probably too often to the point where like, I sort of had to stop because I, I think my wife was ready to move out if I said it one more time. But uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I just, yeah, it's. It, I remember showing it. My friend Adam um, is probably his favorite. I know it's his favorite Christmas movie, but it's right up there as far as his favorite movies of all time. And so every year it's been like until this year, I sort of had to calm down on it. But every year it was my goal to find him something new from this movie, and um, the. I, I know I've gotten him like some screen uh, screen printed posters from screenings of the movie. It, it got, uh, you know, and he has like a, I know he has the action figure. Um, he's got all kinds of merchandise. So it, it got harder to find stuff. I know like he has an ugly Christmas sweater that has the garbage day scene on it. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. I know fright rags did that. And it's just like uh, crazy. Cause that, that actor um, that played, uh what's eric freeman who's the actor who who is in silent night deadly night part two for the longest time this movie has a huge cult following and um he sort of disappeared from the face of the earth after this movie like i think he was slightly embarrassed and i think he sort of blamed it for like he played ricky caldwell and he sort of blamed it for the downfall of his career and for the longest time there was like a facebook group called finding eric freeman and people were looking everywhere for him and they eventually did they found him and it turned out he had no idea that there was this cult following um and so he sort of embraced it and now you know that's how justin beam got him on the shot factory blu-ray to do an interview and he's been to revival screenings and you know um it got to the point where you could order stuff off his website and i actually got my friend adam a mini trash can signed by eric freeman and he wrote like on a with like a sharpie he wrote like garbage day uh, happy garbage day to adam and signed his name and that's probably like i can't find you anything better than that adam so uh you know after he has his own signed trash can you know it doesn't get much better listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening All right, and we're back. So 
in conclusion from this movie, um, we know that it had a lot of controversy, a lot of it's it's notorious, this whole series. And you said you've seen the first four now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I crammed all those in before we got to record. What is one, the third what? one? If I'm remembering correctly, is that the one? The what one? Bill Mosley is like with his like brain in like a bubble type. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. That was the Bill Mosley one. And number four was the toy maker i think or was it number five i know i don't remember which one's which after part one yeah but uh going back to i can't remember the actor's name but uh richie or ricky his facial Uh acting and his eyebrow acting like you were talking about before that was like i think it was pretty close to on par with devin sawa and his his hand acting and idle hands, <laughs> like that's the biggest thing. That yeah, stood it's out incredible. To me. It was awesome. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, Jim Carrey, like where his uh, face is like rubber in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It, 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 I hate that he was like ashamed of it and hid from it for so long, and I, I'm really glad that it has such a cult following now. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. There's so much merch. Um, like I said, you can buy your own signed trash can. It's good that he's sort of emerged and is embracing it now. Like so many, like Troll 2 and so many of these love Troll 2. cult movies. Yeah, exactly. Like they have this cult, huge cult following now. And, you know, people are not ashamed to love stuff and celebrate it. And so the people who are behind the movies are getting that appreciation even if it's um late in life you know they're still uh at least seeing that their work is not um completely in vain yeah i'm definitely gonna try to find a cool uh garbage day shirt there's plenty of them out there i know like i said they've made like a fake christmas sweater they've done t-shirts i know fright rags has done several um silent night deadly night 2 i i don't think i have any part two shirts but i do have a part one christmas sweater and a t-shirt and i know cavity colors is another company who's done some merch from the first movie but the second movie doesn't get as much love in the merchandising i actually just got a uh cavity colors return of the living dead uh ugly sweater oh i've really seen that's awesome that. yeah I, when we get off here too i'm wearing my freddy krueger ugly sweater right now it's when he has the uh the syringe needles on his hand and it says dare under it i'll have to send you a picture of that okay when cool. get off yeah that's awesome uh i'm wearing a festivus shirt because today is festivus <laughs> yeah i know i know you. one guys... thing i saw oh, go ahead. i was just gonna say i know um listening to this commentary that one thing I was going to mention is that many of the much of the movie, like many of the kill scenes were actually directed by editor Michael Spence um, because Charles Sellier was uncomfortable with handling a lot of the heavy parts of the film. And they sort of talk about it in the commentary that he did not have a lot of experience in directing. So Michael Spence, who was a producer and um, the second unit, like assistant director helped out and, you know, uh, the actual credited director, Charles Sellier, did not direct a lot of the movie. So, um, you know, it's sort of coming out now that he was sort of not the biggest director of this movie. Like, he, right. he sort of directed it, but not 100%. That's crazy. 
It's for, I, I wish I knew yeah, and I know, behind the scenes of a lot of movies like that. That's, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, there's that story of, you know, Poltergeist being directed by Steven Spielberg instead of Toby Hooper and yep. uh, a lot of that uh, history. So, uh, obviously, this isn't as big as Poltergeist, but it still would be interesting, you know, to see because from there's another commentary, I think, on the disc from the original release with the director, and he sort of doesn't mention any of that. But when, you know, the more honest second commentary track that was just put on the new shout factory disc sort of tells more of the true story depending on who you believe but um, yeah so what i was going to say earlier too was one of my favorite things on attack of the killer podcast and we've actually we we've been doing that for a while too is uh the what you watched so i was going to ask you if you've watched anything crazy this past week or good that stands out well we're sort of you know, we just are winding down from the year end episode where we all go nuts and watch as much of new horror as we can. And, uh, soon as that stopped, I jumped into like the Christmas stuff and Christmas horror. And, um, I watched, um, trying to think of anything recently that was really crazy. I didn't see, I I watched some non horror stuff. Really. I, I love Christmas movies in general. Um, Dial Code Santa Claus, Joe Bob played it on Last Drive-In, and that's um, such a crazy one. I saw Sound of Metal. Have you seen Sound of Metal yet? No, I haven't seen that. I haven't even heard of it. It's on Prime, and uh, you're a metalhead, so you'd probably appreciate it. It's not your typical metal movie, but it's very, very well done, and it's about a drummer of a metal band who loses his hearing and he has to sort of cope with it and it's a drama but it's so so good oh and i actually I know, think they, I know what that um, is yes i put that i actually put that on my list yeah they projected that they sort of um the metal aspect of it is really hard to get right in movies like um it always sort of comes off as cheesy or corny to me and so this one was pretty accurate i felt like so um it takes me out of it when it's not realistic yeah i actually just uh I'm I'm I I I criticize a lot of MMA movies. I really enjoy Warrior, but like never back down. Another one that I like the choreography's pretty bad, but I watched a new MMA movie that just came out and it's a very moving and very powerful movie. I was very surprised by it. It was act- it had a Steven Dorff in it. He was the main character and it's called Embattled. Very good movie and as Where you being an MMA it? fan, I rented it on Prime. I think it was like I think I paid like six ninety nine to rent it, but it was definitely worth it. It was okay. definitely up there with like emotion wise with a warrior. Yeah, I've seen Warrior. I've seen The Fighter. Um, there's like you said, there's not a lot of great MMA movies that are real to the sport. There's like, what was that really bad Kevin James one? Here comes the boom. Yeah, like, yeah. that's fun for like a comedy and like Adam Sandler type movie. Right. But no, I, I, I did watch uh, The Creep Show. Yeah, that's what I was going to get into, too. I was going to ask if you watched The Creep Show uh, Christmas special. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Pretty dumb. Um, pretty cheesy at times, but I had a blast with it. That was pretty fun. Yeah, How about I lo- you? I lo- yeah, I love the Killer Santas, and I'm a huge, huge werewolf guy. So I love that it had to do with werewolves and were people or were cheetah and the were tortoise. I-, I loved it. I had a really good time with it. Yeah, I love the turtle. That was like probably my favorite, uh, you know, shapeshifter in the movie. And the boar, because the guy's like a fucking pig, so he turns into a pig. 
Yeah, that's hilarious too. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think that like I really enjoyed the series, and I think that was up there for one of my favorites. Did you watch the animated special? Yeah, I really liked that one. The Kiefer Sutherland was pretty good, but I really loved the zombie carnival. Yeah, that was my favorite, too. I preferred that one. Yeah, it was pretty good. No, I love what they've done with the new creep show. Yeah, I know they're in production on season two, so I'm uh, excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what cameos they have in this one, too, because they had a lot of really good ones in the first season. Like, I'm a huge Kid Cudi fan and seeing Kid Cudi in the werewolf one. So I was so stoked on that episode. DJ Quails. Yeah, I love Kid I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you see uh, Kid Cudi? Did you see Kid Cudi in the uh, Bill and Ted uh, music? Yeah, I know you're a huge Bill and Ted fan, and I know you really like the new one. I loved Kid Cudi in that. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, he's not a bad actor at all. I, I've enjoyed everything I've seen him in. For sure. He, I think he did a song for the bright night remake too it's like uh yep yeah he did it's uh nobody uh, believes me or no one believes me yeah it's a good song um did you have any final thoughts on the silent on the original silent night deadly night um because i think if we get into the second movie it's going to become another hour-long podcast (laughs) and uh you know then rabbit hole with three and four so did you sort of have any final thoughts on this one I'm just mad it took me so long to see it, but if I had to rate it, because I always give my ratings on our podcast, I'd definitely give it uh, probably a 7.5, close to 8 out of 10. It's definitely going to become a yearly watch around Christmas time for sure now. Yeah, I, I had such a good time watching this. I mean, the acting wasn't terrible. The practical effects were awesome. For sure, for sure. Before we let you go, no, you're okay. I just wanted to uh, give you time to sort of plug your show, talk a little bit about your two, both of your shows, where people can listen, where they can find you on social media. Um, just let people know where they can listen to the show. Yeah, I mean, we're on pretty much every streaming service. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter for the Gore Score. And then that's our horror movie podcast. And then for mine and my fiance's true crime podcast, Live, Laugh, Kill. I think she has a Facebook set up and then an Instagram, which we that's where we usually communicate with people who reach out to us, our fans and whatnot. But yeah, definitely Instagram is where we are most active, but you can catch that one also on any platform as well. Excellent. And I know you can find um, the Gore Score on the pfpn.com, um, but you know, like you said, any anywhere you listen to podcasts, the show is available. Yep. And uh, thanks again so much for coming up. It's been a whole lot of fun having you on. I'm so glad you got to finally see Silent Night, Deadly Night. And I, I was worried I would never find anybody who hadn't seen this one. <laughs> um, so, again, thanks so much, Colby. Uh, you'll, you'll be on again soon because we have a whole lot more to talk about. Um, yeah, I can't wait for you to see the movie that uh i've been telling you about that's definitely gonna be a uh it's a very emotional movie so i'm really excited for you to see it i'm really looking forward to it yeah thanks again for having me on man i can't wait to be back on again of course anytime and um we'll talk to you guys next time on first time podcast thank you thank you again for listening to the first time podcast if you haven't already 
please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and give us a like on Facebook. Follow or subscribe to the First Time Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. A huge thank you goes out to Scott Schreiner of Weezer for our intro and outro music. Last but not least, do us a favor and share this podcast with someone else who might enjoy it. We appreciate your support. Santa's watching, Santa's waiting, Christmas Eve is slowly fading, can you hear him in the night, close the door, turn out the light, Santa's watching, Santa's creeping, now you're nodding, now you're sleeping, were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad. There might be a treat for you in Santa's bag of toys. But Christmas won't be fun and games for naughty girls and boys. Santa's watching, Santa's waiting, everybody's celebrating. Did you do your best this year to end now? Cause Santa.